And we welcome you to the Wednesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. We're talking singing today, so it's going to be a happy day, a great day. We have with us in the studio Dr. Maggie Burke, Director of Choral Activities at Carthage College. And uh, Dr. Burke is going to be uh, very busy tomorrow night on the podium conducting all three large vocal ensembles, choral ensembles at Carthage College, the Carthage Choir, the Carthage Chorale, the Carthage Treble Choir. And then she will be sitting back in part two of tomorrow's concert and enjoying, along with the rest of us, a performance by one of the world's most renowned vocal ensembles, Stile Antico. And uh, they are here under a, a special grant, and it is a really amazing opportunity to hear this group in person. So we're going to be talking about them, and uh, a little bit later on in the hour, we're going to be hearing from one of the members of the group, uh, John Arthur, who sings bass. He's been part of Stile Antico for the last 15 years or so, and we will uh, talk with him about this group, and we will hear a couple of excerpts from their exquisite singing. But in part one of today's program, it's all about Dr. Maggie Burke and the talented singers that she will be leading tomorrow night in this concert at 7.30 p.m. in Carthage's Siebert Chapel. Dr. Maggie Burke, we welcome you back to the morning show. Good morning, Greg. <laughs> Seems like yesterday that we were talking about last year's Christmas Festival, which I think was your first visit to the program. And uh, here we are. One of the things I think we should maybe spend a little bit of time talking about is uh, how different this year, this second year at Carthage for you feels compared to last year because of the the way in which your duties have been shifted. Explain to our listeners what I'm talking about. Yeah, so my first year at Carthage, I directed the Carthage Choir and the Lincoln Chamber Singers, uh, which are both um, sort of more upperclassmen level ensembles. Um, and this year, uh, I have taken on all of the ensembles. So uh, we, that, that includes, as Greg mentioned, our treble choir and the chorale. And actually, I've sort of changed the chorale around a bit this year. So it's now a tenor bass choir. So um, it's one of the only schools in the region that has a, 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 a full, large ensemble tenor bass choir. I've 24 in that group this year, and they're going to make their debut tomorrow night. Can't wait for that. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a great chance to hear some really rich, lovely sounds. So, and the, and they have a lot of fun doing it. So, yeah. so how does this change things for you and your approach and your experience? Besides the fact of just being really busy handling all of these groups, but I suspect beyond just being busy, there are there are some real benefits to uh, handling all of the ensembles, and in a sense. Uh, doing all of this sort of in 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 concord with yourself yeah absolutely there's uh i think I think for me the most exciting thing is a chance to read I really hone my pedagogical chops across various levels of singers um you know I have people who who say i've never been in a choir before i'd love to join i'm like great welcome there's space <laughs> for everybody um to the people who have been doing this really passionately for many years now and they, and they they would like a place to really hone their craft um on a really high level and i'm very excited that you know now we i can kind of oversee all all sides of that in, in a sense um mm. And uh, it really is a heartening thing in this day and age to see so many singers from all parts of of of, of the campus um, who are excited about choral singing, excited about communication, about listening, about about you know the sort of empathy that comes when you when you are a really committed choral singer to understanding the text, to understanding the music, how they're married together, and how we as a group can. T- 
can kind of have this this collective digging and in, into mm. the sort of excavating the intent of composers and arrangers and how we can present that to others. And that's, I mean, seeing that across all these different kinds of ensembles is really, really, really quite rewarding. Cool. So, so does does one feel particularly challenging or, I mean, in the best sense of the word, in terms of stretching who you are versus certain groups, you stand in front of them and it just feels like you just pull the ripcord and away you go? Uh, or are they all just kind of their own unique adventure? I think I think the latter. I think um, there's there's if you're uh, if you're if, at least for me if, if I'm being an aware educator, there's going to be something in every single ensemble that's going to challenge me in terms of how I can then you know you know hone my hone my skills how, how I can best meet the needs of the people in front of me, um, and so whether it's you know working on teaching sight reading to the beginning students or whether it's you know working on turning a diphthong at exactly the right time with my upper level students. And diphthong is like the word my. So you hear the word my and you say, there's two vowel sounds on that word, my, right? So like, that might seem just like a funny thing. Like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah. But when you, if you have a group that's really dedicated, that can become a really meaningful way to say it's not just my, but it's my, you know, mm. it's kind of like poetic recitation I mean, or right. rhetoric in a sense. So. Right. So what do we sustain and how long do we sustain it? And when right. do we move to that new vowel? And right. And digging into those delicious details can be such a pleasure. Uh, are there particular musical highlights uh, with these three big choral ensembles that you want to uh, alert us to be listening for tomorrow night? Absolutely. So, the the trouble choir will be singing three pieces, um, and I'll I'll draw attention to uh, the last of those three. It's a piece called "Rise Up" by Minnesota-based composer Jake Runestad. Um, the text is all a collection of Susan B. Anthony's writings, hmm. um, and so there's this very driving, exciting piano part played by our outstanding accompanist Melissa Cardamon, um, and. The choir uh, builds these layers and layers of sound um, on the text. Rise up, you know. There shall never be another season of silence. Uh, deepen your sympathy and convert it to action. Um, and I think, you know, in today's day and age, deepen your sympathy, then convert it to action. I think that that is a sequence not to be mm. n- not to be missed. Mm. Um, and the singers in that group have really dug into it and have really um, taken on t- taken on both the the action required by the text, but also this sort of reflection uh, piece of that as well. Mm. Um, the chorale, as I mentioned, the uh, tenor bass ensemble, will be singing two pieces. Uh, the first of those is an arrangement of a, of a, of a spiritual by Andre Thomas, Swing Down Chariot, mm. um, which we've gone into a lot of, of, of discussions about the origins of the concert spiritual and how it's not how it differs from a traditional spiritual and that, mm. you know, the original spirituals were these work songs they were produced by enslaved african african americans a product of a place and a time one line of song echoed among people working i think modern composers have taken these melodies and crafted these you know complex exquisite vocal works that that, that represent you know the the upper apex of, mm. of 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 musical creation and this piece is you know four part harmony it's got you know got very uh uh, athletic vocal lines um, and it's going to be really really exciting so cool. I, can't, I can't wait for that um, then the 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 Carthage Choir set uh, of five pieces is all stuff that we're going to be taking on our tour to Minneapolis this coming spring. Um, the the program I, I decided this year since we're going to Minneapolis, which if you know, if you're a listener who knows choral music at all, will know that Minneapolis is a pretty is kind of a choral mecca in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Many many choirs, lots of people singing, lots of lots of colleges that that that, that value group singing there. 
And I, I mean, I also lived there. I taught there. And so I, I, I know I know the scene decently well, at least. And I was thinking to myself, I want to lean into something that makes Carthage special. And for us, honestly, that is our scenery. We have the lake. And so I was thinking about all the ways that water brings people together, the ways that water mm. is a focal point in our lives, the way that water um, represents both like crossings and barriers, depending on, on where you are and who you mm. are. And so this, this set of pieces um, offers a sort of narrative about that. We're opening up with a, a spiritual arrangement, Moses Hogan's arrangement of Wade in the Water, mm. um, featuring uh, our, uh, a junior, Jada Moss, who's our soloist. Um, Jada's a nursing major from, from Kenosha, um, and she's going to sing it beautifully. Then we go straight into a really unique piece called Water Fountain, which is actually by a sort of indie indie group called Toon Yards, uh, mm. based out of Oakland, California, but with lots of influences from Jamaican dance hall music, sort of a, maybe even a slight slight tinge of the Bacchanal in a sense, um, in terms of celebrating the joy of youth, but also commenting large scale on resource management and uses, particularly water and other life-giving resources that are often, you know, commodified and prioritized for the few mm. instead of the many. Um, and the piece has guitar and, and drums, and, and it's very mm. energetic, and it's, it's uh, uh, definitely going to be a, a stark contrast to what, what, what came before. Then after that, sort of commenting about, you know, kind of youth culture and also about resource management, we, we, we move to a, a sort of different way that, that, that water can be a barrier. And I've chosen um, a movement from Caroline Shaw's cantata, To the Hands, mm. um, which is a piece, uh, it's a reworking of a Baroque cantata by a guy named Dietrich Buxtehude, um, uh, which, was a, which was called Ad Manus, as in, which is a, a reference to the crucified Christ, the open hands of, of, of the crucified Christ. And Caroline Shaw, who's a you know, youngest woman to ever, or y- youngest composer to ever win a Pulitzer Prize, also happens to be a woman, um, she wrote this cantata and said, what does this image mean to me? And, and for her, mm. it was the idea of welcoming um, and the idea yeah. of, of allowing others in. And so the whole cantata is about uh, displaced people and, and, and refugees. And oh, so this, wow. and it's scored for string quartet and choir, um, but this particular movement is just choir. And she takes um, Emma Lazarus's The New Colossus, the, the, the poem that's on the base of a Statue of Liberty, and sort of... Um, tangles it up i would mm. say um sort of it starts with a, as a direct recitation but then very quickly kind of kind of disintegrates into something entirely new mm. um including her, some of her uh, very char- characteristic uh, extended vocal techniques which are sort of sounds that you don't necessarily think of as singing sounds that mm. make an appearance um uh, her, her 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 piece that won the pulitzer is called um uh it is called. Of course, now I'm blanking. After I wrote it down two, two, two seconds ago, um, she wanted to put a Pulitzer. Wow, I can't even think of it. But anyway, point being, lots of extended techniques, um, and the, uh, you'll hear the choir kind of making these gasping sounds, which literally represents the striving of the f- fighters fleeing fighting that are that are are, mm. are depicted in the poem. Um, and it's 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 quite it's quite shocking in the moment uh, to hear it. Um, but the, after this very complicated rhythmic texture with this, these sort of gasps that are happening, the end, there's this moment of total repose. And the choir offers the text, I will be your refuge. Mm. And then it changes to we will. We will be your refuge. Wow. Um, and it is a, it is a striking, striking uh, moment in the concert. And I think in terms of what water means and that, in terms of... It is separates one from your vision of a dream of what something's going to be, but then when you're there, it's it's it it may be different than you imagine. But then, 
I also think about the scene of you know people standing standing in a body of water like a a Jordan River or a, mm. or a or a Red Sea, and then we will be your refuge. You know, c- kind of coming down the river to pray together, mm. which will also feature on our tour program, but not not yeah. this concert. So, wow, that mm-hmm. sounds like a an amazing array of works. That's great. And then, of course, part two is going to be this incredible group from England, Stile Antico. So first of all, uh, explain how it is that they are coming to Carthage and how it works for them to be part of this fall choral concert. Yeah, we have this really outstanding uh, performing arts series of concerts at Carthage where we bring in, I mean, in internationally known acts. We had, you know, New York Voices last year. We've had um, we've had groups like Chanticleer. We've mm-hmm. had Voges 8. Um, these are some of the four forefronts, uh, forerunners of 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 the, of the musical pr- uh, professional scene in the world. Um, this is through a grant from the Racine Community Arts Foundation, um, and uh, we are able to just offer these incredible opportunities on our, on our campus. So st- the process to get Steely Antico to Carthage actually predates my time at Carthage. Um, my predecessor, Dr. Eduardo Garcia Novelli, um, and some 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 of the folks in his office were the ones who who. Um, kind of made those connections and invited them. Uh, for me, my connection with the group is is one of, I would say, uh, uber fandom. Uh, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a kid growing up in Kansas, my as the child of an organist and a choir director and growing up in church music that specifically kind of lives in that British cathedral tradition, um, Celia on Antico CDs were, you know, the bread and butter of my, mm. of my, of, of, of car rides uh, mm. galore. Um there's a, a several of their CDs. There's one called Passion and Resurrection, which is all music of Holy Week and Eastertide. Mm. Um, there's a song, a, a CD of so- Song of Songs, which is all you know, text from Song of Solomon. And those CDs, I mean, that was that was some of the defining artistic choral sound that I had in my head starting from when I was a teenager. Wow. I mean, it goes it goes way back. So the idea that you know that my choirs are sh- are sharing a concert with them is just absolutely wild to me. <laughs> really, really exciting. So, so for. Someone who is not so deeply acquainted with that whole realm of, of choral singing, uh, explain what the special pleasures are uh, and also the special challenges that are part of singing that kind of music at the level that Stile Antico does. I would say the, the, the thing you'll, you'll experience hearing it as it feels like you're being wrapped in a blanket of sound. Mm. Um, and the way that works, like construction-wise, is that this, 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 uh, most, of this, most of this music is what we would call polyphonic. Poly meaning many, phonic meaning sound, so many sounds. Basically, um, in contrast to when you think of like a hymn being sung, when everybody is singing the same rhythm, the same words at the exact same time, this, the, 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 the um, structure and the the beauty of this music is that everybody is, while we're all agreeing on the same pulse, oftentimes lines are interweaving. They're copying one another. They are never together. Or if mm. they are together, they're together for a very specific reason, they're for, for a specific point um, to, to, to clarify the text. And in, in, their, in, their, in their program tomorrow night, it's the music of William Byrd, um, you will hear... Again, the many layeredness of these sounds, you will hear these incredible, this, the pacing of the unfolding of it, I think, is really, mm. really quite, quite, quite special. And the other part that I always enjoy talking about when I think of this music is the idea that, you know, nowadays, of me as a modern conductor, when I look at a score of music, I see a full score. I see, and all the singers see a full score. They see 
the soprano part, the alto part, tenor part, bass part, however many parts there are. They, they, so you can reference what other people are doing to find your own notes. Hmm. When Bird was writing, and people like him were writing back in the Renaissance, they wrote what are called part books, where literally all you get is your own part. You have no idea what anybody else is supposed to be singing. And so I think about that. I think about the fact this music didn't have what we call time signatures nowadays. It had mensurations, which are, again, it's a different, it's a similar way of organizing time, but it's, again, harder to reference off of other people. You have to know what yours is and just kind of stick mm. to it. Um, and then that also means that, like, in these cathedrals where this music was being sung, they had these giant part books. They're huge because all the tenors would read off the same part book. There weren't, mm. there weren't a bunch of them. Because um, again, paper vellum was expensive, and having all that was 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 sometimes not feasible. So, just the actual like communal act of singing, where literally everyone's staring at the same the same thing, singing um, at the same piece of paper. Right, exactly, same piece of paper. Um, uh, I think about that too, and I think about how, especially when you hear it, the these how how layered it is, and how how complex but also like makes it makes sense you know again, mm. it's i think it very much feels like a hug so mm. in that in that in, in that sense fantastic and of course it's also one of those things that our students for instance from time to time will experience singing this kind of music but probably not extensively and and for a lot of people this is a really rare opportunity to hear this kind of music and to hear it sung this well. Absolutely. I mean, going along with the idea of, you know, everyone doing their own thing, that requires a level of very, very secure rhythmic independence. You know, you have to be able to hang on to that beat and count rests and count and count, you know, extended long notes over, you know, time periods, which might sound not that that challenging. But when so many, when when perhaps eight parts are singing around you, that becomes a much more... Uh, a, a much more uh, significant challenge, I would say. Mm. Wow. This music also is written in, I mean, it's kind of predates what, what we call tonality, which I would say as a modern equivalent, it's like the grammar of music. Like, okay, you have subject, verb, direct object. Musics still had those sorts of things, but they weren't as crystallized as they are in the era of, like, say, Bach. Mm. Um, and so in terms of how modern singers, we just aren't used to that it's that word order or that or mm. that, that 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 vocabulary and so um it is as a teacher of this music i mean i'll I'll do one of these pieces a year you know mm-hmm. and they're going to sing an hour of this music you know that mm. just lives in them deeply because that's what they do and that's what they sing right so yeah it's just part of who they are and and uh it's it they they do this at at an amazing level of excellence so mm-hmm. it is a real treat to be able to hear them stile antico and again we're going to be hearing from one of their members in just a moment. And in the meantime, of course, the concert opens with performances by the Carthage Choir, the Treble Chorale, and the Carthage Chorale, uh, all under the direction of Dr. Maggie Burke. So, Dr. Maggie Burke, we uh, wish you well, you and all of your uh, student singers, with uh, Thursday evening's concert. We trust that it's going to be an amazing night. Again, it begins at 7.30 at Siebert Chapel. We'll give ticket information a little bit later in the hour, but... I appreciate you uh, in this very, very busy week making time for this conversation. And uh, again, best wishes to you. Thank you so much, Greg. And now let's hear just a little bit from Stile Antico, and then we will hear from one of their members. You're listening to the Wednesday Morning Show on WGTD. Thank you. 
And for this portion of WGTD's morning show, I'm very pleased to be able to speak with one of the singers, part of the exquisite performance you just heard. Bass James Arthur is one of the members of Stile Antico, uh, who will be part of Thursday evening's concert at Carthage College. And I appreciate James Arthur uh, joining me to talk for a few minutes about this extraordinary group and what it has been like for him to be part of it. Uh, James Arthur, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thanks for having us. We're uh, really excited and pleased to be coming to Carthage uh, on Thursday. Let's begin by just getting an overview of Stile Antico. My understanding is that uh, the group was founded right around the year 2001, so you've been around for not quite a quarter of a century uh, tell us about the, the, the origins of the group and if you were on hand at that point. Well, that's correct. It has been going that long. I was not a founder member of the group. Um, I've been singing with the group for about 15 years. The original grouping of 12 singers, which is what we are, um, was founded by some friends at university um, they sang in their college chapel choirs together during term time, but they missed singing together in the holidays. And so in the, uh, or the vacation, as you would say, in between semesters, they would get together and continue singing together. And they started putting on concerts, um, amateur concerts, as it were. Uh, and then in 2005, they um, appeared at an early music festival in York, in the north of England. And they did so well there that someone from the Harmonia Mundi record label offered them a record deal. And so we say the group has been professional since 2005, uh, but formed in around 2001. And there are still five original members of those 12 still in the group today. Hmm. I noticed from your biography that uh, you have been or continue to be a part of a number of different groups. I mean, in your biography, uh, such names as La Nuova Musica, the Taverner Consort, the Philharmonia Voices are mentioned specifically. So uh, can you explain how that works? And I don't think you are unique uh, in the members of the group. And how is it that uh, you maintain a presence and involvement in, uh, in, in all of these different groups? That's right. Um, we, as a group, Steely Antico, do around 30 to 40 concerts a year. Um, and for most of us, that takes up around a quarter to two-thirds of our professional life, as, as, you, would, as you would say. So the rest of the time, we're working um, in other fields of music. And as you mentioned, me specifically, I um, sing full-time, and I do sing with other early music groups, um, but the thing about our group is that we're a fixed membership, so um, we prioritize Stile above other things. And when we're not working with Stile, um, we work with other groups and other members of our group. Some conduct choirs, some teach privately or in schools. Um, so it's a real mixture, but, I would, but we are all in the music profession one way or another. But what's different about our group is that we don't have a conductor. So you mentioned Taverner Consort, well, that's Andrew Parrott. You have the Cardinals music, well, that's Andrew Carwood. Talis Scholars is Peter Phillips. But we um, run the music ourselves. 
So we all have a shared um, artistic um, input into the group. And so we allow ourselves a bit more time to rehearse than a conducted group might because there's no one person at the front telling us what to do. It, it turns into a discussion. Um, and it's a sort of a democratic way of making chamber music. Mm. I find that really, really fascinating. And of course, you're not utterly unique uh, in that respect, but it is also a relatively uncommon thing in professional music. And uh, I wonder if you could kind of take us inside what that democratic process is like. I mean, how does it work? And uh, as you are working your way through the preparation of music and uh, having to make uh, certain determinations or choices, uh, how does it sort of feel uh, in terms of that that process? And do certain members of the group play particular roles in that process? You know, we all have a we all have an equal say, and um, it means it's constantly evolving. So, for example, we might have been singing a piece of music on and off in different programs for the last twenty years, and yet we may still look at it on a concert day and someone might say, do you know what, this this corner of the piece still doesn't work well for me. Can we revisit it, revisit it again and possibly try it in a different way? So on a practical level, we try out um, three or four, maybe more different ways of doing a, a phrase or even a couple of bars in rehearsal. And of course, ultimately, in the concert, you can only do it one way. So if someone still has reservations about how we've come up with a result in the rehearsal, you have to go um, with the consensus. And then uh, the next time you do the piece, someone might put their hand up and say, as I said, I'm still not happy with that. Can we look at it again? So it means it's, it's, it's sort of constantly tinkering, um, but we hope it means that we keep trying to improve the performance both for the benefit of us as performers, but also for the listener. I'm guessing that with this kind of scenario, it's really important, of paramount importance, that you have members, that you have singers that understand this and that can work well within this kind of framework. The the world is full of singers who are probably not equipped for stile antico, not just in terms of what sort of voice they have or musicianship they have, but if they uh, are not comfortable operating in this kind of collaborative system. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, if we have a vacancy, which we have just, we've just filled one recently, one of my colleagues, after doing 15 years of the group, has decided to go on and do something else. So we had quite a lengthy um, application uh, and audition process and as you quite rightly surmise, it is not the best singer on the day that we are going probably going to offer the job to. It's a combination of, um, do you understand the music? Because we specialize in 16th century music. Do you have a passion for it? Do you have something interesting to say about the interpretation of it? And will you add to those rehearsals when we're trying to um, bring the music alive off the page? And also, crucially, I mean, at, at the moment, we're in the middle of a two-week tour in the United States, and we come to the United States two or three times a year. Crucially, you have to um, work out if you can be on tour with these people, with uh, other members of the group, because it doesn't just stop 
inside the rehearsal room or the concert room where you know we're all bunked up in a hotel together etc so it's quite a long process we tend to invite people to come abroad with us for a couple of days when they're in the audition process just so that we can get an idea of the whole of the person um so yes it's not as straightforward as you might think oh we need someone with a great voice they've got a great voice in they come it's all going to work really well Talk for a moment about the early music, which is your your specialty, and uh, what is particularly gratifying and also especially challenging about this kind of repertoire. Mm. I mean, I fell in love with this music when I was a child, <clears throat> listening to my parents' record collection, and I think what struck me about it was that these beautiful sounds were being made simply by the human voice, i.e. there were no instruments involved other than the human voice um and for some reason that really struck with me uh, i fell in love with the music i think um renaissance polyphony as it is called um suits our way of working and vice versa because it is a democratic uh style of music each line is equally important and comes to the fore at different points in the um in the piece uh, so it's like a woven tapestry if you fast forward to the next musical generation which is the baroque um typically you have a bass line which simply provides sort of harmony and then the melody is in the upper registers and so it's a, it's not such an equal spread um, of division of re- musical responsibility and musical interest so that's why i think the way we work as a democratic 12 um, reflects the music and and um, is a, a complements uh, the music that we sing. I know that you are placing special emphasis this year on the exquisite music of William Byrd in this 400th anniversary year of his death. Can you just say a word about uh, his uh exceptionally fine music, so beautifully crafted, and uh, how important it is uh, to you and your colleagues of Stile Antico. Yes, William Byrd is one of our favorite composers. We certainly couldn't let this 400th anniversary year go past without us um, dedicating a program to him, a program of his music. He was an extraordinary person, really, because he lived 80 years uh, in the middle of the 16th century, which is pretty unheard of back then. And he was also um, a sort of religious survivor. He served under Queen Elizabeth I, a Protestant queen. He was one of her court, he was a gentleman of the chapel royal, a court composer and musician. And yet he was a, um, an underground Catholic. And so his whole life really is defined by this tightrope between serving the Protestant establishment and progressing himself um, economically, financially, as well as in status as he got higher up into the higher echelons of the court. And yet, underneath it all, he was struggling with the fact that he was Catholic. It was illegal to be Catholic. He could, in fact, have been um, burnt at the stake, like many Catholic martyrs were at that time. And yet he was such a brilliant musician. Queen Elizabeth turned a blind eye. She famously said she did not want to... um, Uh, provide a window into men's souls, i.e. if you didn't rock the boat, she wasn't really that bothered about what your personal faith was. 
And so when Bird retired from court, he had a 20-year retirement. He left London, he went to the countryside north of London in Essex, and there he was more content. He served another recusant Catholic aristocratic household at Ingatestone Hall, and he became a composer for them, and he wrote a whole cycle in his retirement, a whole cycle of motets to fit um, every Sunday in the church year uh, for the Catholic services. So um, it was a life well lived, it was long, it was full, and um, the output was huge. And uh, strangely, I mean, every now and then you think of a composer as having an off day and uh, a piece is not totally up to par, but those things are very few and far between with Bert. He really understood singers. He was a singer himself, he'd been a chorister, probably at the old St Paul's Cathedral in London. Um, and I th- I, my feeling is he performed in these domestic settings at Ingatestone Hall in Essex until he was a very old man. Um, and it's just a wonderful legacy that he's left us as performers. Although Stile Antico uh, specializes in old music, and your name actually means uh, in, in the old style, uh, you also uh, do contemporary work and have actually commissioned works, world premieres. Uh, can you help us kind of make sense of, of those two facets of, of what you do? How does that sort of fit together artistically with you? Yes. Um, every now and then we have permission to compose to write something specifically for us. And it is usually to complement a program um, or a piece that we're also doing, an old piece that we're also doing in that program. Um, so Nika Mooley has written for us, uh, Hugh Watkins, who's a, a UK composer, uh, Joanna Marsh, a wonderful contemporary female composer, um, who wrote a piece for us when we were doing a program of Renaissance women composers and patrons of music. Um, so it is different. Usually these pieces are written in 12 parts because we are 12 singers and so the composer likes to take advantage of that um, but of course the main difference between a contemporary piece and a piece from the 16th century is that the composer has written in exactly what he or she wants on the page you have dynamics um, you have tempo markings um, so in a way it's much more prescriptive we can't or we don't put any kind of our, our own imprint necessarily on a contemporary piece, whereas with a 16th century piece, you simply have the dots on the page. It's an open book. You've got no tempo markings. You've got no real direction markings. And so that's what allows you to be more expressive and explore the expressive boundaries of the music. But we love doing um, contemporary music as well. Um, It's a challenge for us. It's good for us. um, Keeps us on our toes. And um, we've had some wonderful um, compositions written for us, so, which we've been very fortunate to, to, uh, to have. By the way, do you do anything in between? That is, do you ever sing Mozart? Do you ever sing Elgar? Or, 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 or essentially is your artistic imprint in these kind of two worlds, the very, very old and the very, very new? Yeah, that, that's right. You've got it on the head. We don't... We wouldn't sing anything under the Stile Antico banner in the Elgar or, or Mozart realm, I do think, or at least we have not done so to date. Um, but as I said, we all perform 
you know, all across the UK in different groups and ensembles and churches and cathedrals. So we, we get our fix of um, 20th century English choral music and uh, European great great works, uh, working with other groups, uh, if we so wish. So, uh, But no, Stine is restricted, I say restricted, but we, we specialise in the early stuff and then anything that's written specially for us. So what is the repertoire you're planning to sing for the concert uh, at uh, Carthage College Thursday evening? Well, it will be uh, a one-act version of our Bird program, William Bird, um, and we we stagger it with the different stages uh, in his life. So we have some English-texted music that he wrote for the newly formed Church of England under Queen Elizabeth I, we have some Latin motets, which uh, were not controversial when they appeared in print, but often had hidden meaning for the recusant Catholic community. Um, we have some pieces that he wrote in his retirement, as I mentioned, um, in Essex, where he felt more free, I think, to express himself and was probably... Um, didn't feel in fear by that stage of his life and so these are much more personal pieces often to be performed by catholic households probably with one um, instrument or one singer per part um, possibly even involving members of the domestic staff in the households to fill up the parts and what's interesting about these pieces is in that instance you would have women singing the top line um, as opposed to boy choristers, which is what was happening elsewhere in the churches and cathedrals uh, of, of England. And then we have a final short section of pieces um, uh, by composers who were influenced by Bird uh, in the next generation. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a stagger through Bird's career and life, which, as I said, was, was very long. Very good. Well, I, I know many people will appreciate the opportunity to hear some of the music of William Byrd and to hear it sung uh, so, so exquisitely. Uh, one other quick question about your own biography, if I may. I noticed that uh, you have a background of having studied opera, and uh, that sort of leapt That's out correct. at me because yeah. often when we think of the singers who uh, excel in, in this kind of repertoire— uh, we don't necessarily connect that with with the world of of, of of opera, at least certainly not with the world of grand opera. Uh, so I'm just curious what what those operatic roots are for you, and if that still figures in sort of who you are musically. Well, yes. I mean, it's a it's a sort of personal story to me. I mean, I went off to uh, music college after I had taken my uh, music degree, and uh, I studied at a conservatoire. And I did some concert singing repertoire, and then I went on to the opera course at the conservatoire, which I did for two years. And you know, you do the classic roles. I did some Mozart roles and um, some Donizetti roles, and so forth. Um, and then I worked a bit in opera choruses and doing small parts in operas on stage. But I didn't love it as much as I thought I was going to. Um, and I got drawn back into, I said drawn back, I, I, I made some conscious decisions to uh, do choral singing, do ensemble singing, small scale ensemble singing. And I found that much more rewarding. Um, I guess lots of people, the question is, oh, how can you sing a, an aria with vibrato one minute and then um, straighten out, as it were, your sound the next minute? And uh, I don't think it's for everyone, but I've not found it a difficult 
bridge to cross. Um, I think um, it's just a different way of approaching music. And once you start thinking about, I, I, people get hung up on vibrato. It's not really about that. It's just about blend, being aware of what is being sung around you. And if you've got your ears uh, alert, um, you can very quickly train yourself to um, to slot in uh, to to an ensemble setting. And you know, I find it incredibly gratifying. Hmm. Well, I have to say that um, I'm not sure I've ever heard blend quite as exquisite as that of Stile Antico. I am so impressed with all that you do and, and some of the really uh, intriguing projects that, uh, that uh, the ensemble has created and given to the world over the years. And, and uh, we are excited that you are coming to Carthage to be part of Thursday evening's concert. Uh, James Arthur. Uh, a base with Stile Antico. Thank you so much for making time for this conversation. It was great to uh, make your acquaintance over the phone, and I look forward to hearing you and your colleagues at Thursday evening's concert. Thank you again. Thanks, real pleasure. And we're going to finish out today's morning show by listening to a bit more music by the great William Byrd. And I want to add parenthetically on a personal note that this is a piece of music that means a great deal to me. This is Sing Joyfully, and it is the very first piece of music by William Byrd that I ever had the pleasure of singing myself. I was just a freshman at Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, and in that fall of 1978, at our very first rehearsal, we began with William Byrd's Sing Joyfully, and I felt like I was being transported into some heavenly realm. We ended up singing it very well, but not nearly so well as this world-class organization, Stile Antico. And again, they are honoring William Byrd in this 400th anniversary year of his death with a special concert program that they call England's Nightingale that they have performed throughout Britain and in other countries as well. And a portion of that William Byrd program will be part of Thursday evening's concert at Carthage College. If you would like more information, you can go to Carthage.edu, go to the bridge, and you'll find an article about Thursday night's concert, which, of course, will also feature all of the choral ensembles of Carthage College. Tickets are required for this event, and you can go to the box office at Carthage between noon and 5, or you can call 551-6661, and you can also go online with the Carthage box office to Reserve your tickets for what promises to be a marvelous concert. Here then is Stile Antico with this masterpiece by William Byrd called Sing Joyfully. Sing joyfully. Sing.